Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, and we have a cast of thousands here today. As we get ready for the NFL Draft, we have, of course, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson. Joining us from northern New Jersey, we got Rich Shermanello, who is our college football analyst up in Boston, Tim Williams, who has been through some draft work himself this week. We got a lot of draft stuff coming on, guys, and we'll start with the Sunshine Boys themselves. Ira, you and Joe, uh, I know we want to focus, if we can, at least early on, on what's going to happen with the Bucks, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Miami Dolphins. And so, um, any thoughts on uh, where the Bucks go with their first choice? Well, the latest, uh, <clears throat> the latest rumor, gentlemen, courtesy of Adam Schefter, uh, is that the Bucks are looking to trade down from number 19. I don't think that's a bad strategy, uh, considering uh, this draft is rich in, in, in the positions that they're looking for, namely running back, safety, uh, maybe defensive end. Uh, but you know what that tells me, guys? If it's true, and mm-hmm. of course you can't believe every rumor, but if it's true, it tells me that they're not sold on Dalvin Cook. That That's what it tells me. And Cook's the guy that could be there at 19. May not be there, but could be. Seems mm-hmm. to be a case of a falling stock for Dalvin Cook. I don't really know why. Uh, but uh, certainly the Bucks would not trade down if they were in love with Cook and he's sitting there at 19. So, uh, you know, it's a big draft for Jason Light. He's got a good draft record. So far mm-hmm. in three years, and not very good on free agency, uh, and he's looking for a contract extension. So, a lot of pressure on Jason Light right now. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, uh, that would not surprise me that the rumor is out there the Bucks would be willing to trade down. You're kind of in the murky middle there at, at pick 19, and and you know once you get past the the elite guys at the top of of the draft list. You're you're drafting on uh, from a pretty large pool of guys uh, to fit a specific need, and if you can pick up somebody that is comparable to what you think you would get at 19 by trading back a few spots and pick up an extra uh, uh, draft choice, you'd probably do that. But uh, curious why Dalvin Cook seems to be dropping. He he seems to be this year's. Uh, you know, um, kind of shooting yeah, star that, that is going. Yeah, uh, I, I saw something uh, in, uh, uh, in one of the draft analysis that uh, that well, he had character issues at Florida State, and there was the the issue uh, a couple of years ago where I guess he uh, was uh, accused of animal cruelty because he chained up some some three pit bulls or something like that, and. By all accounts that that I've read um, since then, he was a model teammate, and and that that they they loved him in Tallahassee, and not just because he was a terrific running back. So this could be one of those one of those uh, one of those things that comes up every year in the draft, where you know it, it seems like there's always someone that that you look at and you say this is a great player. And for some reason, he just keeps dropping. Um, I would Warren be surprised. Staff, Happened to Warren Staff in 95, right? Yep. Well, and of course, Johnny Manziel, but there, there was reasons for that. Um, and um, I don't know. I would think that if, if Dalvin Cook is there at 19, I would have uh, 
a hard time believing the Bucks would pass on it. That's just my thought. Rich, what do you think? Is uh, Delvin the best uh, running back in this year's class? Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, this time of year we get into such a, a granular evaluation. We look beyond just the film. We are looking at character. To me, this time of year, gentlemen, character needs to be separated into two categories. And I'm not dismissing the importance of off-field character. It certainly matters, matters even more these days. But I think there's also the discussion of football character, and that is never an issue that I've had with Dalvin Cook. If you look at the way he practices, if you look at the way he plays, his ability, he has played uh, through health issues. Uh, durability, I know, has been a question. But to me, even more so than Leonard Fournette, if I'm starting a team with a running back, it's going to be Dalvin Cook. Did not have much support last year. Young quarterback in DeAndre Francois, he was fantastic. I think if the Bucks have an opportunity at 19 to land Dalvin Cook, I think you jump at that and you have a true number one feature back for the next five or six years. I guess I'll be the contrarian here. I'm I'm not really a big fan of Dalvin Cook at 19 for the Buccaneers, and and if if I had to guess why his draft stock's falling, I would say that there's there's a school of thought that a first round running back is quite a risk to take in general, and I think that there's it, it might be difficult for Cook to get selected in the first round, not necessarily because of his character issues, but because teams might not see a lot of value in a first-round running back, even a supremely talented one like Dalvin Cook. Certainly, it seems like Leonard Fournette's going to be a t possibly even a top-five pick, and Christian McCaffrey might go in the first round, but he's a very versatile player. Um, I look at the Bucks at 19, if they, if they do in fact pick at 19, and I think they might be able to take a safety in a draft that's very deep at safety and help a secondary that's been pretty woeful the last few years. They could take some defensive line help if it's available to them. They could take some offensive line help because the running game isn't just who your back is after all. Guys, based on what Rich said and um, the fact that Jameis Winston played with, um, with Delvin Cook, um, what's that in how much weight does that hold okay they played together they won a, a national championship together what does it mean from a buccaneer standpoint to have the endorsement of Jameis Winston for Delvin Cook uh, at this point in time Winston's endorsement Joe having yeah. Winston's endorsement is nice for Dalvin Cook and he certainly has it mm -hmm. uh, Dalvin Cook helped Winston win a national championship uh, uh, in Winston's uh, freshman year at, at FSU. Uh, but it's not going to be a deciding factor, guys. Um, you know, to Tim's point, uh, the one red flag on Cook, which I think is legitimate, because Rich was saying durability. You know, he, he has had shoulder problems, but he doesn't miss games. So I don't have a lot of problems about his durability. But he's had some fumble issues, Jim. He's had mm -hmm. some fumble issues. I believe the number is 13 uh, in, in his Tallahassee career. Uh, every coach talks about turnovers, but Cutter, you know, was fanatical about it. And uh, Jameis uh, Winston himself has had turnover issues, uh, as Joe will back me up on. So 
if Cook, you know, has this reputation of, uh, you know, having problems with ball security, you know, that that could be a game breaker in, in Cutter's mind. Well, it really could, <clears throat> and that's uh, as you noted, Ira. That's uh, that's legitimate criticism of him. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and um, respectfully uh, slap Tim around a little bit on the whole running back notion of uh, that you don't take a running back in the first round. Um, there was this guy last year that went pretty high in the draft named Ezekiel Elliott, and I think uh, the Cowboys were pretty happy with uh, with taking a running back that high and. Um, when you when you've got a quarterback like Jameis Winston and you've beefed up your receivers, you 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 really are going to be a, a team that uh, you would think would be pass first. Well, you've got to have a, another threat back there to to kind of take some of the pressure off that and make defenses think twice about just trying to stop the passing game. And if you've got a guy like Cook. Uh, who is a a game-breaking running back, let's just say it. Um, and and I think he could have the kind of impact with the Bucks that Ezekiel Elliott had with the Cowboys. So I, I'm sticking to my guns. If he is available at 19, you don't walk up to the front with the, with the cards. You run. Let me ask you this. It looks uh, ESPN and a couple of other – uh, draft boards have uh, Jacksonville taking Leonard Fournette uh, with the fourth pick overall. Rich, from your standpoint, what would put Leonard Fournette over um, Delvin Cook? Yeah, you know, Leonard Fournette has that interesting combination of measurables that we really see maybe once every generation. Uh, when you look at his size, his speed, and when I say speed, I really think more in terms of his uh, his build-up speed. You know, when he starts to move, he really is like a locomotive going through the second and third levels of defenses. Great kid, great character kid, excellent work ethic. That, to me, puts him at a slightly higher scale than Dalvin Cook in terms of measurables. The problem that I have is we mentioned durability potentially with Dalvin, that's a bigger concern for me with Leonard Fournette. There have been multiple occasions in the past two years. Last year, he was in and out of the lineup, was never 100%. Maybe it was an anomaly. Maybe it was an isolated incident. I'm not so sure about that. He's such a big target, absorbs so many hits. If we're talking possibly Jacksonville at number four with Leonard Fournette, Listen, if he is who he can be, you are talking about potentially Adrian Peterson 2.0, but I do worry about the durability issues with Leonard Fournette. Okay. Miami Dolphins um, looking for defense? What do you think? They're, they're not that far away, Joe. The Dolphins are not a bad team. You know, they've been stuck in that 8-8 eight and eight hole. Uh, Tannehill still has a little bit to prove, but I, I think, Jim, while they do need some defensive help, without mm-hmm. question, right. uh, they've got a good running back, and I, I think they got to surround Tannehill with some more weapons and finally make a determination on Tannehill. Uh, is he the guy? Otherwise, in next year's draft, the Dolphins are going to be looking for a quarterback. Uh, big, big year for Ryan Tannehill. They open, who do they open with? The Tampa Bay Bucks in Miami, week one. Uh, 
you know, a lot of a lot of hype going on in Miami. They're getting a Super Bowl. They got the renovated stadium, four hundred million dollars of Stephen Ross's money. Now they got to get a team to match, and you know they're always looking up at the Tim's uh, Patriots, and nothing's going to change in 2017 uh, in that regard. Uh, but somehow, some way, Tannehill's got to take that next step. So Joe, while they need defense, uh, you know the cupboard. Uh, needs a little sprucing up on offense too. You know, you mentioned the Dolphins being close and of the Florida teams, they, I, I think are the the closest to the playoffs right now in a lot of regards, but in another way, they're the farthest from the playoffs because they're in the AFC East and until further notice, and who knows when that Patriots team will start to finally succumb to the gravity everyone else in the NFL's dealt with forever. But until then, they're going to be looking up for a long time, and it's going to be a tough race to get a wild card spot in a loaded AFC. So it, it's going to be a tough pick, and the Dolphins are in a very interesting position because of it. They've done a lot of things right. They're on the right path, but they still have a lot of work to do because the difference between good and contender in the NFL, it's getting to be quite a leap. We're here with the Sunshine Boys on your listening to the Sunshine Boys podcast. Uh, I'm Jim Williams, your host with Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves up in Boston. Our guest today, Tim Williams, and our special guest, Richard Morello from um, – he's our college football analyst, and he's from New Jersey. And Rich, let me ask you a question. We've been talking about the Florida teams on the pro side. Which – Florida college player is likely to be the first guy out of the state to be drafted. Florida in terms of raised in Florida or Florida uh, played played in uh, played for a Florida school. Uh, I, I mean, listen, we we discussed Dalvin Cook. I, mm-hmm. I think that's probably a strong likelihood. Um, Could it be Najuka you know, uh, with Florida right? State? I'm sorry. Could it be Najuko out of Miami? Yeah, actually, he is uh, from my home state, actually, my actual county. He's from Cedar Grove, New Jersey, uh, explosive tight end. A uh, little surprised he came out early. I think he's uh, he's raw, but his ability to bust through the seams of defenses, he's almost like a supersized wide receiver, an H-back Tremendous athleticism, similar to an Evan Engram at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, one of the unfortunate stories, and, and we've seen this, I think, all too much, guys. I'd love to get your comments on it. Maybe it's just the world we live in, but so many off-field problems are changing draft boards. Florida Gator, Kayla Brantley, who I thought was going to be one of the real stars of Thursday, Friday, and into the weekend, the defensive tackle. Now he has had allegations of off-field problems, that's uh, that's a Florida player who I thought was going to do very well who could now slip. Guys, any thoughts on, on him? Well, there's there's another one where um, Ira referenced Warren Sapp uh, a few years ago, uh, many years ago, when uh, he he fell into the Bucks lap and and you know because of off-field issues. Um, is a little different though uh, with with Caleb because of what he's uh, been charged with or uh, at least has, has been accused of. Uh, it's, a, it's a misdemeanor charge uh, 
but when you get into the whole large football player hitting a woman issue, that that doesn't send up a red flag. It sends up a fleet of red flags. And you know he's denying it. Uh, his his people are putting out all sorts of of uh, you know like uh, their version of the story, shall we say? And you know if if you're a, if you're a, an NFL general manager in the draft room, and this guy starts sliding down, which you know he will now because of this. And um, you know at what point do you say well? We will take the public relations uh, problems that come with it, and we're going to take him. Uh, I don't know, Ira. Do you think he may have just slid out of the first round, though? I really do. I really do. Um, there's one guy, Joe. You've seen this guy play a lot. Um, I thought the guy was a fantastic college player. Uh, I'm talking about Demarcus Walker, Joe, mm. out of FSU. Um, Love him. And, yeah, yeah. And again, you know. Some of these guys, they project to the NFL, and, I, you know, you need different tools, and you're going to the next level, and I understand all that. Joe, every time I saw DeMarcus Walker, he was dominant. Um, the guy is a heck of a pass rusher. Uh, inside, outside, he's got moves. See, that's the problem. I, I, you know, some of these guys, like I remember Gaines Adams, Joe, you remember him. He didn't have any mm-hmm. moves. He didn't have any moves. And so, you know, he's got that around the end, but you can't get away with that in the NFL. Uh, Rich, what do you think of DeMarcus Walker, and, and, and what position does he project uh, at the next level? One of my favorite players, you bring up such a stage point, which is sometimes I think we all succumb to paralysis through analysis. And, and you're right. Listen, I, I, I don't want a 4-9 wide receiver. I don't care how many passes he caught in college. Totally understand it. You know, Demarcus Walker's a bit of a tweener at 6'4", 280 pounds. I tend to look at it the opposite way. I see him as versatile as opposed to someone who doesn't have a position. I think you can play him inside or outside. The explosiveness that you referenced I saw throughout the past couple of seasons. I mean, look at the Orange Bowl against Michigan. There were numerous times throughout last season that he was virtually unblockable. Give me DeMarcus Walker. If you can get him in the second or third round, which is a likelihood, he's not going to be a first-round pick, that kid is going to produce for some NFL team, whether he's inside or outside. I absolutely love him. I think he's one of those players that could be a cornerstone of a defense for the next decade, possibly. I mean, that is is such a great point um, that you make about – uh, what this guy did on the field versus how the 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 almighty measurables are 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 done, and now he did have a good pro day, and which undoubtedly helped his stock. But here's a kid who fits exactly what Rich McKay told me you look for in the draft. And Ira, you know what I'm going to say is you don't draft on potential; you draft on production. And give me a player who has proven uh, that he can produce at a high level in in a major college game. And I think this guy would have, you know, such a player would have a good chance to be uh, an excellent pro 
And I think Walker just fits that to a T. Uh, pass rushing is teams are always looking for that. Uh, the Bucks. How how long did the Bucks have to go before they got a decent pass rush hour in the last few years? Like forever. They haven't had a, they haven't had a double digit sack guy guys since Simeon Rice left town. Uh, there you 2005, go. 2005. Yeah. Okay. And while the you know so if if he is I don't think he would be there when the Bucks pick at uh, uh, when their second round pick comes up. I don't think he'll last that long. Uh, and you if you're the Bucks you couldn't take him at 19. I don't think the Dolphins could take him at 22 but here's a thought what if he slides into the second round uh, and Jacksonville pick, picks pretty early in the second round wouldn't he make a good Jaguar absolutely uh he could be a guy guys if the Bucks slide down from 19 um you know and pick up uh, an extra third round pick uh they could uh, maybe package that and move up in the second round and then take a walker Joe that wouldn't be bad no uh, we- all these I, trades that we see bandied about um, on on draft night, you know, teams moving up, teams moving down. Um, Demarcus Walker could be exactly what some team has in mind on that. You know, can't take him at this spot because you don't get value there. But if I move back five spots, he'll be there and I'll grab him and I'll pick up an extra pick. I I think that he he would factor prominently into that strategy. I thought Ira was channeling Jimmy Johnson. Uh, to <laughs> trade up, trade down, trade sideways. I need more draft picks. Give me twenty more draft picks. I'll get them. Get them. Get them. I, I I he doesn't have Jimmy Johnson's hair though, so that, that, that <laughs> wouldn't work. Oh well, Rich, Rich. Rich, I got a question for our guest, Jimmy. Uh, sure, go ahead. You know, I'm looking at the quarterbacks. I'm looking, and, and you know, Buck fans have to be so blessed to have Winston and not be looking for a quarterback this year, whereas opposed to when they were two and fourteen. You know, they had their choice of Winston and Mariota. I think both of them are going to be outstanding. I don't think they would have went wrong with Mariota either. Uh, so it's all, you know, it depends on what year you're wretched. And here are your Browns, gentlemen, and your 49ers and the Jets. And Rich, uh, am I wrong to suggest that uh, this is a crop of second-round quarterbacks, uh, three of them who are uh, going to get picked prematurely? No, I mean, that's where my mindset is right now. Um you know, obviously I'm intrigued by Mitch Trubisky. Hard not to be. We only have one year in terms of a body of work. But if you're looking out in terms of potential, and he was productive as well, had a very good season, engineered some some impressive comeback wins over Pitt and over Florida State, as you guys know. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. You know, Deshaun Watson is interesting. I I understand, and as I watched him throughout his career, I understand some of the limitations some poor decision-making, turns the ball over too much, accuracy issues. I think you can win a lot of NFL games with Deshaun Watson. He has the requisite physical skills. He's obviously proven in big-game moments, uh, doing a number on Alabama in back-to-back years, winning the national championship, obviously, uh, you know, earlier this year. So there's a lot of potential with Watson I'm a little surprised at how far he's slipping. I didn't think he'd be a top 10 quarterback, but now there's talk that he could fall into the teens. If I'm an NFL GM, guys, I'm looking out to a Deshaun Kaiser beyond the first round or a Nate Peterman from Pitt beyond the first round. But after that, Pat Mahomes is a quarterback that intrigues me as well. 
I don't think there's a top 15 first-round type quarterback in this year's draft, however. Don't you think a little bit about uh, Deshaun Watson? Um, uh, the fears about him are that he could be another RG3, a, a very dynamic college player who could have an impact uh, in the NFL right away, like RG3 did, until he gets hurt. And as as mobile as Deshaun Watson is, you know, NFL teams are going to be scared to death to let him be the kind of quarterback he was at Clemson. So I uh, <clears throat> I would be very leery of him. I think the guy was a, one of the best college quarterbacks of the era. There's no question about that. But that doesn't always translate to the NFL uh, with the wide open no, game right. that they play in colleges. And if, if I were to hazard a guess, I would say that's why teams are scared of him. Uh, they'd probably love his talent and uh, hate the way he plays. You know, in the NFL, and when it comes to the draft, I'm all about putting players in a position to succeed. I look at the team, and not necessarily what do they need or who the best player is available, but who's the guy they can take who actually brings them to another level, or when you're looking at a team like the Browns or 49ers, a player you can build around. I don't have anything against any of the quarterbacks in this draft but it doesn't seem like they're the kind of player you can build around they're the kind of player that if you have a team that's a decent team but might not have the signal caller they need and they have the right offensive line and the right offensive scheme then they could really do well with uh, Deshaun Kaiser or with Mitch Trubisky or with any of these other quarterbacks but it's hard to say these teams at the top of the draft that have terrible offensive lines, not a lot in the way of passing targets, and, well, Kyle Shanahan's in San Francisco, but in, in Cleveland, we're not, so, we're not even so sure on how the coaching staff's going to bring the offense around. So it gets very difficult to say those teams anywhere in the draft should take a quarterback, even though we know that's such an important position, it would be foolish for them not to. It's such a tough position to be in, and I think it speaks to it's the draft. It really depends on the year. It's not always the magic cure-all that we like to imagine. It's great when there's a Winston and a Mariota at the top of the draft, but that's rare. As, as Ira Kaufman would say, I'm about to make a bold and brash statement. Um, <laughs> the um, yeah, we, we were talking about quarterbacks, and, and the, the Chicago Bears spent a lot of money on Mike Glennon, who we know very well here in Tampa. And, and Mike Glennon is, a, is a potentially a fine quarterback. But I believe the Bears will draft his successor in the second round, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's still there if it was Deshaun Watson. There you go. If that works I out. Hope. If, if that works out, you can say I told you so. If there not, I'll blame it on Ira. Speaking hey, uh, of Ira, I got one for you, Ira. Go ahead, Jimmy. What of the top? Do you see Cleveland or San Francisco draft uh, dropping down, making a trade to go out of the first or second slots? A lot of people I, seem to think that the, both those teams are looking to get out of the number one and two slots. I think absolutely. I think absolutely. Uh, now, if there's a way that the Browns can screw this up. They'll, they'll find it, gentlemen. That, that we can be assured of. Uh, 
But look at the Niners, guys. John Lynch, first time around as a GM, no experience. Uh, him and Kyle Shanahan trying to turn around a, a woe-be-gone franchise that used to be the class franchise. Uh, sure, they want to get out of that number two spot. There's no quarterback worth taking there. Uh, if there was, it would be a no-brainer. So who's the consensus number two pick? There is none. Move back seven spots for a team, you know, that's on the brink, that really mm-hmm. wants to move up, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, pocket, you know, a, a, a second-round pick in, in the bargain. Uh, Jim, to answer your question, uh, surely uh, the Browns or the Niners or both uh, are looking to trade down. I got a quick question for uh, Mr. Tim up in New England. Tim, uh, based on your best inf- intel, uh, was Garoppolo ever available? Any chance he could be traded Thursday evening? And what does it mean? Uh, what are you reading into Belichick's mindset uh, if uh, if uh, there's no way that Garoppolo's getting out of New England? What what does that mean? Well, I I think it means. You know, I, I know a lot of Patriots fans around here, obviously, and some of them have rose-colored glasses about things and believe that Tom Brady has five years left in him. And if anyone at his age could go for five more years, I guess it's Brady. But that's hard for me to believe that someone could get to about 45 and still be an effective NFL quarterback. And I think it's hard for the Patriots to believe. So if they think that Garoppolo is the kind of guy who can start on a good team and succeed as a starting quarterback on the highest level, then I know it's blasphemy around here, but it's certainly not in Foxborough because the Patriot way says everyone's expendable and that's no exceptions. I think they're looking toward the future and... As great as he is, the future can't be a 40-year-old quarterback, so it's got to be someone like Garoppolo. I'd be really shocked if the Patriots traded Garoppolo. I think I don't think they'd do it for the number one pick. I honestly don't. Rich, what do you think? You think that um, that um, that the Patriots would be willing to part with Garoppolo? No, it's. It's a commodity that uh, they know they've had in-house. Uh, the expectations are there. The comfort level with the system and the staff are both there. Um, I, I don't know how much longer Tom will go, but as you know, Tim uh, uh, rightfully said, there's, a, there's an expiration date there that we can see uh, out on the horizon. I, I, I think to have that uh, sort of quarterback-in-waiting in-house in Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, makes a lot of sense. Now, if someone did offer the top overall pick and you could add uh, a, you know, a defensive end the caliber of Miles Garrett, I, I think the drop-off from Miles Garrett to everyone else, I think someone had mentioned, which is a very good point, there is no consensus number two. There is a consensus number one. I mean, if Cleveland was willing to make that trade, I'd have to strongly consider getting Miles Garrett uh, up, uh, up in New England. Cool. From that standpoint, hey, Rich, while we got you, um, there's a guy who's a lot of people in this, uh, you know, in the in the Tampa Bay area have become very fond of, and that's Marlon Mack, the running back from the University of South Florida. What do you think his upside is? Do you think that uh, he's going to be someone who's going to be picked in the second, third, something like that? Where's he going to go? 
funny. I, I, I was hoping Marlon Mack would come up during this discussion because, you know, the Bucks need a running back. If it winds up not being Dalvin Cook, how about keeping Marlon Mack home and, and keeping him in Tampa? Three fantastic years with the Bulls. What I like about Marlon Mack as I watch tape of him, one of the most elusive and explosive backs over the past couple of seasons. Uh, look at big playability, yards after content, uh, yards after contact, home run type of a hitter, good size at 5'11", about 215 pounds. I think he's a starting NFL back in the future. Won't happen in year one. But Marlon Mack, USF, you know, maybe in the third round, someone I think is going to get a terrific running back. You know, the Bucks have, have looked uh, at Marlon Mack very hard. They've, they've worked him out. Obviously, they, you know, he, was, he, he played uh, his career right down the street from one Buck place. They are very, very familiar with him and by all accounts are very high on him, and they, and they should be. Um, I agree with everything uh, you said, Rich. Uh, we watched Marlon Mack play um, his entire career at USF, and he he's terrific. And he doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody, I don't think, in the draft. So um, if the Bucks were to wind up with him, if Dalvin Cook doesn't turn out to be an option, um, you know, I think most most folks around here would be just delighted uh, if that happened. But let me ask uh, another question of our esteemed guests. As long as we're on the subject of uh, USF players, what do you think about wide receiver Rodney Adams? What I like about Rodney Adams is, if you, again, if you watch his career, the career trajectory, love the big playability. He fits so nicely into an offense. You know, Willie, as you guys know, likes to grind it out, likes to lean on the running game. But when it came time, to stretch out a defense, Rodney Adams was Quinton's favorite target. I like the wide receiver. I don't think he's a number one. I think he's more of a number two or number three in terms of wide receivers, not rounds. Uh, but his ability to stretch a defense on the outside, get down the sideline, makes life so much easier for that ground game. So I like Rodney Adams. I'm a USF fan in general. Really like what Willie did. Interested to see what Charlie will do in the aftermath. But USF, I always thought, was a sleeping giant. When you talk about facilities, when you talk about location, when you talk about potential, that's a program that I think is headed in the right direction. Hey, Jim, we haven't mentioned uh, who I believe is the most polarizing figure uh, heading into Thursday. Uh, is, is, is Roger Goodell. <laughs> He's going to get booed. We know that. There's yeah. no question about it. Uh, a kid named Mixon, uh, Jimmy. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, now look, some people, some scouts believe he, he is the best running back talent in this draft. Uh, you know, projects better than Fournette, McCaffrey, uh, or Cook. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there might be more than one scout of that opinion. Uh, I'll say this, and, and uh, I'll let the panel weigh in, but. If a GM is thinking about drafting Mixon and serious about it, uh, I, I think you got to go through the owner. That that's the case where you go through the owner. The mm -hmm. owner doesn't have to be uh, necessarily weigh in on on the on the right tackle. But mm -hmm. if you're taking Mixon, 
you, you have to clear it already with ownership so that if things go wrong, and there's a chance they will, um, you, you might be able to get off the hook on that one. Otherwise, you're asking for trouble. You know, Ira, that that's a great point. And, um, but I, I will counter uh, with this. Um, we saw right here in Tampa uh, what bringing in a player with baggage, um, you know, it, in Jameis Winston. It was controversial. Um, it was certainly well aired uh, leading up to the draft. And once he slipped on the uniform and has behaved himself, I think 99.9% of the Bucks fans are going, let's move on. Uh, he's, a, he's the quarterback that we need. Interestingly enough, your, your argument that an owner has to be involved on that, that is why I am seeing uh, lots of projections that have a landing spot with the Cincinnati Bengals and Mike Brown uh, in the second round. The Bengals need a running back. Uh, they're, you know, they, yes, they have, uh, you know, Giovanni Bernard and, and all of that, but they would be, I don't believe that if he's on the board at that point, I don't believe they pass on him. I, I, I think he would be in stripes at that point. I'll tell you what, it doesn't, it kind of surprises me that, um, that Mike Brown would be considered Father Flanagan uh, at this point, but I guess. Did, Hen did Henderson just say Mixon's going to end up in stripes? Did he just I say that? that so I, just, I, wondered if would, I wondered if he would pick up on that. Yes, he did. I, I did. I thought the same thing. I'm thinking, what kind of stripes are they? Oh, yeah, Bengals, right. Yeah. Well, okay. you know what? The the Bengals, look at their roster. They, they, they have been known to take these kind of personnel, quote-unquote, risks before. So, so he's channeling Al Davis then. Okay. Well, a little bit, and uh, they missed the playoffs last year for the first time in what five years, and um, that didn't taste good. And part of the problem was was that the offense sputtered, um, the the passing game suffered because the running game suffered, and uh, you know, I there's there's already been a fair amount of controversy up in Cincinnati over the possibility of this pick. Uh, Paul Doherty, the fine uh, sports columnist at Cincinnati Inquirer, wrote a piece just saying, don't draft this guy if he's there. Don't do it. But I don't think Mike Brown would be swayed by that. Now, they obviously won't take him in the first round. But the Bengals picked fairly high in the second round, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's still there that they take him. Tim, would, uh, Tim would New England have any interest in mixing any? It depends on the person. With New England, they might have a reputation because at one point Bill Belichick might have gotten it in his head that he was the punk whisperer because he got a great season out of Randy Moss that one time. But I think they take it on a real case-by-case -case basis. They look at players and they, they try and gauge what that person's going to do. And sometimes it goes well, and other times they get Aaron Hernandez out of the deal. But it's... It, I, I don't know if they'd draft Mixon because, frankly, other than the bare-bones facts of it, I really don't know all that much about Mixon. But I will say this as a football fan and as a Bucks fan, one of my favorite players that I've ever had an honor of rooting for as a football fan was Warwick Dunn. Just a fantastic guy all around. I want more of those guys in the NFL. And it, it's kind of a shame that we're having this conversation and not 
there aren't more of those and there aren't more Myron Roll kind of type of players that are really, you know, either brilliant or forward thinking or just good to people. And it's kind of a shame and it's a shame in all sports. It's not just an NFL thing that we just don't see more of those guys. Speaking of character, you were talking about, you were talking earlier about uh, Jameis Winston. Why then, if you, if, if you apply the Winston theory, okay, why then is Caleb Joe, uh, Caleb uh, Brantley a problem? Well, because that's still a developing situation. Uh, okay. that, that's, a, that's a fairly new thing. And Jameis, the, the, all those issues had been out there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks had the first pick, so, so they could zero in on their guy, which by all accounts they did uh, as early as like December before the draft. Is that right, Ira? It was pretty close to that. That's absolutely and, uh, right, and that's, that's why they tanked at the end of the season. That's right. Absolutely. They, they did. And uh, they, they were going to get their guy. and One way or another. One way or another. And there was uh, absolutely no hesitation on their part once they, they said, okay, uh, Jameis Winston's problems were born of immaturity, uh, and we think he'll do better in the pros. Now, that in no way, shape, or form excuses some of the things that went on. I mean, what he I'm was not, accused not, of. No, I'm no, not I know. I, 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 understand. I was just curious. I understand. I understand. But there are that you know those were serious charges against him, mm-hmm. and you know uh, it's been settled. It you know, and all you can do at some point is you got to move on. And uh, he's been nothing but but positive since he hit Tampa, and that's. You know, hopefully that continues. He stays out of trouble and and uh, continues to play a high level football. And is is, is that going to apply in all situations? No. But uh, that you asked what the difference was uh, with Jameis yeah. Winston. And I just think it was a question of time. Okay. Hey, Rich. As we get ready to wind things up here, give us uh, three or four guys that uh, are that's on your radar that. Um, that we may not think about that uh, we're probably going to see play a decent role come uh, next, you know, this coming fall in the, in the NFL. Yeah, I, I'll, uh, I'll throw a couple of names out. I, I, I think you gentlemen probably have seen them play um, a running back, you know, running backs. I, unless you have almost a surefire pro bowl type running back. And I think Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, I think they have that potential. I think it's always uh, somewhat wise to wait a little bit. A lot of good running backs later in the draft. We mentioned Marlon Mack. Elijah Hood from North Carolina is a running back who I think could be third, fourth round running back who quickly evolves into, uh, into a feature back. Wide receiver, same situation. I think there's a tremendous amount of depth. If it's not Mike Williams or Corey Davis or, or possibly the speedy John Ross, I think you can wait uh, on, you know, whether it's a slot guy like Trent Taylor from Louisiana Tech or Tanner Gentry from Wyoming. Those are uh, That's a big wide receiver, someone more in the mold of a tight end. And uh, defensively, I mean, I, I won't bore you with a ton of different names, but uh, – in, in honor of the Sunshine Boys, uh, defensive end Trey Hendrickson. I mean, that, that's a that's someone from Florida Atlantic that I was watching 
from his freshman season, wildly productive, and then he goes out and does well post-college career in the pre-draft process. So Trey Hendrickson, defensive end, he's someone I think we'll talk about for many years in the NFL. What about the kid from Pitt? I forgot his name. He's a linebacker. <clears throat> Ewan Price, possibly? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, undersized. Yeah. I mean, he's about six foot at best, might be slightly under six foot. But again, if you like productive players, mm-hmm. over the past couple of seasons, spent a lot of time in opposing backfields, very quick off the snap, built more like an outside linebacker than a true tef- a defensive, and probably a situational player. But if you need someone to strictly get after the quarterback, Ewan Price is someone who proved, at least at the college level, he can get it done. There have been a lot of uh, comparisons between him and Dwight Freeney. Is that a fair comparison, you think? A little bit smaller, not as explosive, but uh, definitely in that mold of a pass rusher. Right. Well, guys, we're getting ready to the point where we're about to wrap things up. So um, some final thoughts. Tim, we'll start with you up in Boston. Some final quick thoughts on the on the NFL draft and uh, give us your social media, how to get in touch with you. Well, first of all, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the guy in this draft who makes the best NFL player is going to be O.J. Howard, the tight end out of Alabama. That guy is fantastic and has all the, um, has all the skills to compete in the NFL. He can really add a dimension to an offense that really knows how to use a tight end. But that's what brings me to my real final point. It is about situation. It's about the team and how the coaches know how to use players and what the coaches can get out of a player. When you look at your team in the draft, just think, whoever your favorite team is, just think, is the coach in a position to make this player succeed, or would this player be better off in a different kind of offense, defense, whatever have you? And that's that's where I, I think we forget a lot of things about the draft. And also don't forget... For a lot of for a lot of this, we are just guessing. There's there's a big leap between college football and the NFL, a huge, an enormous leap, and it there's nothing like it, and it, there's nothing like NFL football. So there's a lot of unknown here, and there's going to be a lot of development, even from the best players in this draft. So enjoy the weekend, enjoy dreaming about these draft picks and what they might become, but know that they aren't there yet. Okay. And you can find me on Twitter at Tim Wright Sports. All right, thanks. Um, let's go to uh, Mr. Joseph Henderson. Okay, you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa. And what I will say is that for, for the hometown Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that if they nail this draft and get – the the final pieces uh, of the puzzle that they need, uh, and I think they're very close. That uh, I think this draft will be the difference between the Bucks being a playoff team or keeping their nose pressed against the glass again. And Jason Light has to nail it. Uh, he has to get a couple of more playmakers, I think, to to further enhance his elite level quarterback. And uh, obviously, they need some safety help. But if he can, uh, if he can come out of this draft with with a, a few more pieces to the puzzle, add some depth on the defensive side, uh, 
I think uh, the Bucks will go into this season uh, thinking that it's playoffs or bust. Mr. Kaufman. Jim, every time I follow up uh, Tim Williams, I, I find myself echoing his thoughts. I'll, I'll back him up on one thing. I think Howard is the safest pick in this draft. Is he going to be the next Ozzie Newsom? That that's high cotton. Well, I'll let Rich uh, weigh in on that. But uh, the guy's going to be a terrific player. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at ikaufman76. And one final cautionary note, James. Uh, yes, sir. At the risk of making you uh, drop your phone, um, the very definition of having too much time on your hands is doing a seven-round mock draft. We have to stop that nonsense. <laughs> Nobody knows who's going to be off the board at pick 181. This is crazy, but people like it. I think it's crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll let you weigh in on that, James. Well, let me let me give Rich his, uh, his closing thoughts. Rich, our guest, Richard Morello. Rich, uh, closing thoughts on social media, how to get in touch with you. Yeah, social media, love hearing from people. It's at Rich Sermonello for those who are not psychic. I will spell that uh, R-I-C-H-C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Love to hear from people. My closing thought, love the O.J. Howard. I'll say best player Five years from now, Solomon Thomas, defensive lineman from Stanford. Absolutely love him, both from a character and from a player personnel standpoint. My final thought, stick around till the end of the weekend for all of the discussions about the Miles Garretts and the Deshaun Watsons, and obviously we'll follow where they wind up very closely over the next couple of days. One-third of Super Bowl rosters from the past two years consisted of priority free agents. So while we look at the seven rounds and we'll evaluate every pick, rosters are often built on those free agents that don't get drafted. So take a look at where those guys end up, which rosters they populate. There's a very good chance that some of them will be playing on Super Bowl Sunday in the future. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. And if you're not getting the podcast, you should. And you can get it through Blog Talk Radio, through iTunes, and through Stitcher, where there's a lot of fine sports podcasts. So we're happy to be part of the Stitcher organization. So, look, it's easily done. All you have to do is uh, sign up, and it'll come to your email box or it'll go directly into your phone. Either way, uh, you should be signing up for the Sunshine Boys podcast. So... For Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves, for Tim Williams in Boston, and for our special guest, Rich Cimarello, um, who was our college football analyst, uh, we hope that you enjoyed our preview of the draft, and we hope that your team gets the player you want them to get come Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Until next week, I'm Jim Williams, your host of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Thanks for joining us.